Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And yes, we are back. It's been a long three weeks, or a quick three weeks, depending on which way you look at it. But it's been three weeks since our last podcast, and we're going to be back once a week from now until the new year. And my goodness, once again, have we got a lot of stuff to get our teeth into. Normally, it's only been three days and we say that. So, of course, after three weeks, despite the fact that United haven't played any official matches, although they have played some matches, which we'll get to, quite a lot has happened, of course. We're going to wrap up the World Cup. We're going to wrap up Ronaldo. We're going to talk more on the very latest on Manchester United, potentially being up for sale and we'll also reflect on the friendlies as well and of course because we've not done one for a bit everyone's here the full crew it's nearly Christmas so we're all together sat around to discuss Manchester United once more so it's an hello to Carl Anker hello Carl hello mate how you doing I'm good thank you you've took a bit of a break from your World Cup what shall I call it it's been chaos for you hasn't it the World Cup chaos of, (laughs) of covering the tournament for the Athletic Oh yeah, I've been doing morning live streams, uh, afternoon podcasts, and running the stats <laughs> trucking as well. I can't believe you said it's been three weeks since we did the last podcast. I, I, I honestly don't know what day of the week is anymore. No, that's true. Happy Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? No, it's Monday, isn't it? Oops. I did that on purpose. Sorry. <laughs> Bad joke. The bad jokes are back as well. Wee. And hello, Laurie. Speaking of chaos, you're avoiding trains, planes and automobiles for the foreseeable future. The video's up, though, of your magical mystery tour to the World Cup, isn't it? People can go and have a look at that. But I guess you're just happy to have two feet on solid ground, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just sort of on my sofa right now. I'm in my joggers. I've got my me, me Nike socks, keeping myself nice and cosy. And yeah, they're just nice to be able to just relax a little bit after all that travelling, yeah. which was fun, by the way. It was an incredible experience, but it was quite tiring. I can imagine. And then to land to Ronaldo leaving the club and the Glazers <laughs> opening up for a potential sale it was it was quite a whirlwind. So yeah, I've been taking a breather since. Yeah, it was quite a first day to my holiday as well. To be fair, but day two was spent laid back on a sun lounger listening to the podcast, which was quite nice actually, just to be a member of the audience. One man who never has his feet on solid ground for too long is Andy Mitten and he's been travelling of course as you'd expect during this break is the only one of us who's seen Manchester United or a Manchester United team play in this break you've been uh, well just across the country Andy haven't you in, in Cadiz and, and over to Sevilla as well Spain's massive it's uh, it's absolutely massive country <laughs> breaking news yeah. big big news alert United played in Cadiz right at the other side of Spain and, and in um Seville and the team stayed close to Jerez where uh, it's famous for sherry and we're not going to descend already into talking about alcoholic drinks come on but they went for warm weather training and it rained a lot so 
we watched them train on Friday and it was absolutely bucketing down to the point that training was really close to being cancelled and put back. So Spain's had a lot of rain, but good to see uh, the two games, two defeats, a squad which was made up of a third sort of established players and the rest youngsters, emerging youngsters. So great experience for them to be playing against proven La Liga professionals, basically, in front of a live crowd, 15,000 in Cadiz, over 10,000 in, in Seville at Betis's ground. So everything I gathered was that it was a good idea to go there. Yeah, we'll talk more about those friendlies in a little bit. If there's anything we can learn from them, uh, there's been some interesting articles, as you'd expect, on it, including Anthony Martial uh, beginning to show a little bit of form, back to full fitness as well, which is great to see. But let's start with talking about the World Cup. Carl, you've been across literally the entire thing, it feels like at least, I'm sure for you, if not for the rest, the rest of us. Um, from a Manchester United perspective, what stood out? This has been a really good tournament for Ten Hag players. So I was just, before we recorded... Uh, I was looking at how many minutes have been played. Uh, so 16 players from Manchester United squad have been there. Uh, so, you know, Terrell Molassi is the only United player that travelled that didn't feature for his country. Even Hannibal Mesri got 10 minutes at Tunisia. Um, and the players that played more than 100 minutes have been really important to their nation. So Christian Eriksen was really good in what was a disappointing Denmark team. Uh, do you want to count Cristiano Ronaldo as part of the Portuguese contingent? <laughs> was he part of the 16? <laughs> well, kind of. I'll put an asterisk next to him. Uh, I think the Portugal team has now become Bruno Fernandes' team uh, and they're very much suited to playing on fast transitions, which means they too get the ball to Bruno Fernandes a lot. Um, at the England trio of, of Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire and, and Marcus Rashford all performed really well across those five games as well. So this is good. This is encouraging. If, if you're of the opinion that Ten Hag's building a decent squad it's nice to know that all these players are having good World Cups and fingers crossed it seems like no one's coming back from Qatar holding any injuries yet this is me touching wood for uh, Rafael Varane and Alessandro Martinez yeah especially Rafael Varane given his history uh, Laurie you were the only one of us who made it over to Qatar to watch any of the matches over there uh, I don't know if you saw any United players, actually. But from a United perspective, I guess Harry Maguire probably is the biggest winner, isn't he? You know, he's he's played pretty well, actually, to be fair to him. Yeah, I think he's really benefited from it, hasn't he? He's got away from Manchester United and got into a team that is uh, welcoming for him. Gareth Southgate's always spoken so positively. So it must be, you know, just a boost for him to go into a team, knowing that you're going to play each game. And actually, he's done well with it. I know that Giroud beat him for the, the goal for France, but... Um, I don't know if that's really... It was a great head, a great cross. So it's a, it's a tough one to pin on him. I thought he did well carrying the ball, trying to make things happen for England. I went to the uh, England v Iran game, actually. We, we weren't supposed to, but I thought, well, listen, it's the only World Cup I'm going to be able to get to more than one game in one day. So I went to England v Iran with, with kind of fan tickets. Um, and that was that was cool, being amongst the Iranian fans and, and the protests that they were having against their government back home was, was quite powerful. Um, but yeah, from a United perspective, it was good to see Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw. I mean, I thought he, he did really well, you know, getting forward, putting in crosses. He's, he's a quality footballer, isn't he, when he's when he's actually, you know, fully fit and, and firing. He'd kind of got that fire in his belly, I suppose. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was an interesting experience out in Qatar. I, I wouldn't say for me, we'll, we'll get onto the video, you know, you'll, you'll see it as, we're doing one episode each each day this week um, on YouTube, on the TIFO channel. So you'll see kind of what we felt and reflected on as, as we moved across Europe and then got to Qatar. But the overall impression, not, not really for me, um, a World Cup that kind of felt like FIFA's idea of what it should be and how fans should act in, in certain places. So yeah, three days there, that was enough for me and I'll, I'll come home. 
Yeah, people can go and check that video out now, of course, on the TFO YouTube channel. Um, Andy, let's talk a, a little bit about the two lads who are still there then, Rafael Varane and Lissandro Martinez. And they've both got a really good chance of actually going the whole way, haven't they? Yeah, I'd say they're the two favourite teams. France are the, the current world champions and Varane's big issue was getting back from his injury to play in the World Cup finals. He's done that. We saw the great game against England on Saturday night. Argentina... Uh, a bit more of a surprise for me because they, they started in a pretty poor way, but they've still got Messi, they've still got great players. And from what I can see, uh, they've got the biggest away following there by an absolute mile. It, it's the first international tournament I've not been at for 12 years, I think. And the World Cups where the Argentina team are there, I'm always staggered by how, how big their away following is. You do genuinely hear stories of like, I sold my car to go. And the South American teams are particularly well represented in the World Cup finals. Qatar is the other side of the world to South America. And they're still there in massive, massive numbers. It's brilliant. And they could be in the final. And France as well. Yeah. Lots of great writing up on The Athletic at the moment, on United's friendlies, like we said before, and also the World Cup as well. You can sign up to The Athletic now with a special podcast price. You'll pay less than £2 a month for the first year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Finally, that little bit of readers changed. I went into robot mode then and nearly said exactly the same as what it used to be, but that offer's there now. It's up there at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, let's get to it. I think this is probably the one topic that Manchester United fans are desperate for updates on Manchester United being up for sale. Um, it's a long time since that emergency podcast, as we said at the top of, uh, of this episode. Um, you can go back and listen to that for the immediate reaction from Andy, Laurie and Carl on Manchester United being put up for sale in that statement that was released uh, that night. Incredible 24 hours that for Manchester United. The dust has settled a little bit on the situation. Laurie, you put a piece up on The Athletic earlier entitled What We're Hearing About the Sale of Manchester United. Lots of brilliant detail in that, but what's the, the top line? What's the very latest on this, in your opinion? Yeah, I, there was, there's loads to it and got to give um, props to colleagues um, that also helped with it. Um, Matt Slater, Adam Craft, um, Dan Sheldon, uh, Omar Garrick as well. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of all pulled resources and, and then I wrote it up yesterday uh, with a little bit of a hangover from the Blossoms gig that I'd gone to on the Saturday night, uh, <laughs> uh, which we also watched the England game from, which was, was quite a cool sort of vibe to it, given the uh, the stalls had like a kind of sloped aspect to them. So it was a bit like a football terrace watching it on the big screen. Uh, and then, you know, got over our our woes with a with a, with a bit of a, a bit of a gig afterwards from a, from a quality band, um, but yeah, so I, I kind of pulled it all together yesterday, um, and the main line I felt was that this aspect that Rain, which are the group that are handling the the sale talks, um, are you know committed to a sale in the in the first quarter, you know that, that's what their aim is of, of 2023, you know uh, January to March, which is like 
quite quick in my uh, sort of view. I, I was surprised when I heard that. A, a full sale that, or, or that, investment? Well, that's what, that's what the aim is. So I suppose negotiations always start with your ideal prospect and the ideal prospect for them or for the Glazers would be a full sale uh, of six to seven billion pounds is, is what they're talking about. Now, obviously, that's you know a high price, way over market capitalization, which is you know what the share price is currently at on the New York Stock Exchange multiplied by you know the number of shares that there are. Um, that's that's about uh, two point five billion, something like that, two point nine billion. <laughs> small small change, um, but yeah, the idea is that that's what they're aiming for. So that that surprised me, um, and also you know. You've seen different companies linked, and, and, and it wouldn't be uh, beyond the realms of possibility that, that Rain would like to get a kind of auction going. You know, they handled the Chelsea sale, um, and that was what that you know they benefited from that in that you had quite a lot of interested parties all vying to, to put the right bid in, and, and then also with Chelsea, it was it was also um, you know plans for the club as well. It wasn't just the highest bidder, but you kind of speak to people and you you think that in this case it probably will be the highest bidder because it's it's the Glazers we're talking about and, and finance has always been the motivation for taking over the club. Now is this the starting point for ultimately the Glazers, you know, really getting selling a minority stake that they then use to pay for the stadium because the stadium is the big kind of I don't know mountain on you know in the horizon isn't it where it's this huge thing that has to happen you know to any uh, logical thinking mind but it's going to cost an awful lot of money and how, how does that you know where, where does that come from because the Glazers certainly haven't got it I mean I mean one staggering detail that I'll, I'll sort of reflect on now that uh, came out from the quarterly results that were sort of uh, released on Friday night the full uh, results if you add up the gross debt with the um, the credit facility, which United have dipped into again to buy buy players, <laughs> which we we wrote about in August, you know, where they increased the budget, and we were saying, where's this money coming from? Well, now we know it's it's basically Borrowed. the credit card, the company credit card, and also instalments to go in future because the the net transfer debt, so the liabilities that they are open to uh, over the course of the next few years, is is 250 million. So altogether, Manchester United's debt is we think uh, a billion pounds, possibly more. Um, the, the fluctuations in dollar to pound conversion is, is you know, can, can tweak that to, to, to sort of smaller degrees. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible figure. And that's something that any future buyer will have to uh, consider when they're making a proposal for Manchester United. You know, okay, we've got these liabilities to come in the future. So is is the is the sale, and I'll, I'll wrap it up kind of, because there's loads to go at, but is this sale... Um, th- th- this kind of idea that they're going to get a full sale, the starting point to actually selling a minority stake uh, in the business. I mean, I spoke to a, a US lawyer who's kind of handled this kind of thing before, and I said, why would anybody pay money to not have control of Manchester United? You know, like, it, and also to let the Glazers continue to run the club with your money, um, having shown no real ability to. You know, make it a successful sporting enterprise. Uh, you might, they might argue, well, we've made it a, a successful financial one. But even that's under, you know, you can dispute that at the moment because of the you know amount of debt that's going on and, and the fact that you know, they couldn't even take dividends. I mean, this is a real major aspect of it. They've, they've they actually stopped taking dividends, which I know there's been protests about. Uh, and we, we reported how the fan advisory board had held talks directly with Joel about the issue. So you have to kind of give. You know, credit to people for applying pressure, but I do think you know, ultimately it's been a financial call that they they looked at it and thought, well, 
we're actually making losses, so we can't justify taking dividends. So there's all these kind of aspects in my mind and the people that we spoke to, they're thinking about these things. So it's a real long read. So you, yeah, make yourself a brew if, you, if, you, if you're reading it, but it's got well, a lot I needed in. a brew just for your answer, <laughs> let alone reading the, uh, the know, article, yeah. Laurie. But you could have come off at any point in, then, definitely. <laughs> I, I decided not to because it was interesting, like you say. Uh, Carl, your face was a picture throughout most of that, yeah, to be fair. I mean, Forgive my naivete, but Laurie, when you say the debt is one billion, I'm going, who exactly is this one billion owed to? Is this mm. lenders? Is this, you know, a, a shadowy Scrooge McDuck type character? <laughs> <laughs> well, so they've got, yeah, so the gross debt is like 580 million pounds. So that's what they, you know, used to buy the club originally. So that's that's owed to banks in America. Okay. Uh, I think Bank of America is one of them. Uh, and, and they're long term loans. It's like 20 years we're talking about. Um, and the interest rate is finally a kind of manageable level. It was it was excruciating levels, I think 17% when they first took over with the, with the PIC loans, uh, which is kind of crazy that that ever got allowed to happen, as Andy's reflected on numerous times. Um, and then the credit facility is, again, with, you know, different uh, banks. So it's a revolving thing. So, I mean, in the accounts, it was revealed that to repay that, the, they took about $100 million, uh, I think, um, for, for the latest uh, tranche, for the latest signing. So basically, Anthony money, you know, Casemiro money, this is this is what mm-hmm. it's going to. Uh, and that'll cost $102.9 million to pay back. So there's a bit of interest on that. I mean, that seems quite a good rate to me, 2.9%. Uh, but nevertheless, it's money that isn't actually theirs or the clubs. Like, it's, it's crazy that you've got a club that generates, what is it, 500, 600 million pounds of revenue? And they can't actually pay for their own players because of you know the the finance that it, you know United has, has taken to have the Glazers as owners, uh, and then the, the transfer net debt is basically other clubs. So you know Ajax, you know I, I don't know the exact um, you know how that's broken down, but presumably the Anthony money is over you know two, three, four years. Quite it yeah. certainly was the case with Bruno, wasn't it? I think um, there, there was an element of of instalments there. Uh, Sancho, sorry, Jen Sancho is the one where you know there's definitely instalments to Borussia Dortmund. So it's those kind of things. And obviously United, United themselves will be owed money. I think the Lomelu Lukaku deal to Inter uh, was was based on those terms. So there will be something coming back, but the overall difference, the net difference is £250 million, something like that. So it all adds up to a hell of a lot of money. Blimey. It certainly does. Um, there's lots of detail, like I said, in that piece. So you can go and have a read of that if you want to know more about the exact situation that Manchester United are in with this. Uh, Dan Sheldon's written a couple of handy pieces as well to explain how this is going to play out. Uh, The one big question, Andy, is who will buy Manchester United? Who is likely to even be in the offing for it? It's disgusting, the piece, and I think people really should read it. This type of journalism takes a huge amount of effort and research and getting people to speak. I think it's exactly what The Athletic should be doing and is doing, speaking to credible people, putting rumours to bed. Remember a few weeks ago, on the Tuesday, it was Apple are buying Man United, followed by a load of memes around about, you know, it would be called I Trafford. And the next day, it had moved on to the Ortega family in Spain, who owns Zara. And I just thought, there's something disingenuous about this. It's almost like names are being plucked, getting a load of hits for it, only for a day later or two days later for these huge companies to deny that there's been any interest in them. So I'd say read the piece because it does talk about the type of people who can afford Manchester United and there isn't a long queue of people who can afford it, especially given the reasons that you've explained with the debt, with the stadium needing to be done and also with the wealth of the competition now. 
this isn't 2004 anymore. You know, the, the, the Manchester City's uh, funding, PSG's funding, Newcastle United's funding, you need extremely deep pockets to go up against them, let alone go ahead of them, as Manchester United fans would be expecting. So it's going to run. I, I sense that there could be ruptures within United's fan base because for some fans... It would be acceptable to have some form of sports washing as an owner because they just want to sign Mbappe tomorrow, now, now, now. And for others, it will be saying, no, there's the social issues attached to this. And if it means, for example, the Glazers mark two, someone else who's just going to load that onto Manchester United, that hardly fills me with joy either. It's a really interesting subject. I'd say read the piece for the detail in it. Yeah, Andy, I was going to ask you on that, actually. How do you see this situation affecting... United, the team, but the fan base as well moving forward because obviously there's been the friendlies, but United haven't played at Old Trafford. They've not played a competitive fixture since this announcement has been made. So to see how this actually affects the day-to-day running of the club, the performance of the team, the atmosphere inside the stadium, you know, the atmosphere amongst the fan base, how do you see that playing out? So for the, for the team, it doesn't make things any easier because it's all right, Eric Ten Hag saying, you know, I'd like to buy a forward in January. What he doesn't have now is the certainty that he can go out and buy a forward because suddenly the financial um, future prospects of Manchester United are more in doubt. With the fans, I think there was relief when the Glazers said that they wanted to go. I genuinely believe that there should be a better form of ownership. I don't like the way that the Glazers took over the club and have run the club. I think privately, a huge number of people within the club would agree with that. And they too, as employees, but also as fans of Manchester United, so many good people who work at that club, really talented within their field, they want a better employer as well. They don't want Manchester United to uh, suffer the type of instances that have have happened in, in the last 10 years. As for the fans... I think the, the what are what are Manchester United fans now? The demographic is is so so vast now that what works for one group of fans is completely different to others, and we can see that in the articles we write. If I write an article about increased ticket prices or ticket allocations, a lot of United fans they don't care. They're never going to go to a game. It's not an issue for them. Whereas if I wrote about United assigning a certain player, that would go massive within other demographics of the fan base. I think the club should be better run, not be taken over by a highly leveraged buyout. I don't think you will see immediate protests because what is there to protest against? You've also got splits within the fan base. So in 2005, you had relative unity. You had people like Andy Walsh who brought the various fan groups together. You know, the fanzines were, were very strong and people didn't have to agree with each other, but there was a unity there. Nobody wanted the Glazers to take over. Now... If a company from or or a sovereign state said we want to take over Manchester United, I don't think you get that unity. You would be people blinded by names who say they're going to spend the most money. We've got to do this. Um, You can see online, which wasn't really strong in 2005. There was no Twitter in 2005. The first tweet was like a year after that. There is so much um, discord and disunity among the fan base. And it's really not healthy. So much of it is anonymous. And when people try to do good, they're shot down straight away. Must, for example, have negotiated with the club. What was the alternative? Not negotiate? Just stand outside the house and throw rocks at it? Or just sit around a table and think, right, we want some small wins. 
We want lower ticket prices. We want cheaper drink. We want fairer ticket allocations. We want a vocal section inside Old Trafford. We want uh, safe standing areas. All of these things have happened because fans have been speaking to the club. And yet two other fans are like, how dare you even talk? Sit around the same table as them. You should be assaulting them. So there's a lot of weird tangents to this of where it all goes. And the bottom line is we can ask for a better form of ownership. But ultimately, if people coming in want to be as, as, as bad as they can be, they could just ignore the fans totally. They could. I don't think that'll happen. They could be even more thicker skinned than the Glazers. So whatever. And I've seen so many instances in football where you just think, this is absolutely bizarre. You know, people buying football clubs and the guy with the money saying, my son is a huge football fan. Next thing you know, he's the sports director of a club and signing players, which is seen on, on FIFA. Football is a, Football does mad things to people. This is why it's a moment of opportunity. You know, 17 years people have wanted the Glazers to go, but also a moment of jeopardy, right? Where, as you say, at the moment there is a, at least a dialogue there. Like, you know, as I say, the fan advisory board, the fans forum, you know, there is ways of at least directly going to the owner and saying, this is what we think about this this matter. I do agree with you, Andy. I think it would be sensible for any new buyer, uh, any new owner to come in and actually have that kind of dialogue to understand the club. But then again, if the price is so high, you know, that, that is, is what we're being talked about, the, the pool of potential buyers then shrinks to, you know, you, you can't, beggars can't be choosing in that, in that regard. And also then it would, it would limit how much more money they could put into the club, you, you think, in certain quarters. Just on that, Laurie, actually, before you go any further... If they did get, say, seven billion for the club, and the and the club in theory owned one billion, the one billion would come out of the seven, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be added onto that, surely. You wouldn't be buying the club and taking on the debt. It depends. I mean, you could do. It depends what the Glazers ultimately say. You know, like if they. So it's eight billion then, based on that. Could be eight billion. Yeah. Could could you could need pockets that deep. That's what it comes down to. Okay, the 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 headline figure might be a certain amount, but then actually in reality, what you really need is. You know, another billion, two billion on top. If, if you if you also throw in the stadium, you know, d- d- does... but it's crazy, isn't it? Because you're talking about eight billion quid, a billion's worth of debt there or thereabouts, based on the estimates that that you guys have put together. A stadium that needs investment, a, a, a well, a playing staff that needs constant investment, but but specialist investment to get them back to the level that they need to be. Facilities that need investment, very 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 rich opposition and competition. It doesn't seem like a great deal for someone. Well, does it? this is it. It's, it's yeah. Do, do you see it as a as a? Well, I spoke to a US lawyer that deals with these kind of things, and, and he said that you know in certain areas, America, they see it as a, a marquee name, you know, a, a crown jewel. You know, how often do these things come up on the market? So, how much value do it do you attach to just having that association? Um, but ultimately, you'd think that anyone that gets into it would want value. I mean, even. You know, even you know, the, the Arab states, you know, Saudi Arabia, uh, Dubai. You know, you can question whether Dubai have even got enough money. You know, they've had to have bailouts from Abu Dhabi twice since the financial crash. Um, Bahrain. You know, they don't want to have the pants pulled down by Westerners. To, to be frank about it, you know, you, you speak to people, and that's they're not just going to. You know, Saudi Arabia bought Newcastle for three hundred million pounds. A pretty good deal, really. Like it's not like they overpaid there, and that they're not really as yet overpaying in the transfer market. So I don't, I don't think this idea that they're just going to come and put a load of cash on the table because they've got loads of it. I don't, I don't know if that actually will stand, you know, up, up to scrutiny. Um, I mean, with Chelsea, for example, it was two point five billion plus 
uh, 1.75, I think, uh, commitment to future investment. So things like the stadium, things like you know uh, player sale signing and things like that. Will there be any provision for that in in what the Glazers do? You know, you speak to people, and it sounds like Joel is the most engaged. And and another aspect um, to 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 bring out from the piece that was really interesting was that. The talks with Apollo that Joel and Avram had in August were actually about buying out their siblings rather than getting money for the stadium. So it just shows that we've reported about this this divergence between the siblings before. But you know, from what we've been told, the four other ones, you know, um, Ed, Brian, Kevin, and, and Darcy, the sister, would have happily sold up years ago. I mean, United's value was actually a lot more in in, in stock price terms. You know, uh, 2018, I think. So they might be thinking, well, you've left money on the table there, Joel and Avram. Um, so to so some reading of it, Joel has felt that maybe you know the siblings not being on board and, and kind of wanting their money has has kind of held United back. I mean, I think that's a very generous reading because Joel, you, you know, you have had the keys to the castle for a long time. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of another aspect to it. And yeah, I mean, I, so, so I wonder. So and, and Joel's given this impression that he cares for the club. You know, wants the club to do well. If that's the case, if you're going to sell the club, then give it a chance to flourish with a new owner. If you if you put the price so high, you're actually damaging the club going forwards because these guys aren't going to you know then spend the money on the club. You know what I mean? Like the, you're you're just taking the profit for yourself. And let's not forget the Glazers bought the club with 270 million pounds of their own money. Fair enough. You know the shares were available on on the stock market to buy. They did that. They then loaded the club with a load of debt to get it up to the 790 million pounds price tag. They've already made their money back on that 270 million pounds in terms of share sales. Uh, in terms of um, various other things that they've been able to do, dividends, obviously. Um, so it's all profit now for them. How how much profit do you want? You know, that's the question. So let's see. Let's see indeed. Yeah, if you want to know more about the entire situation, there's several articles up on The Athletic like we've spoken about. So go and have a look at that. We're going to talk about something else. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, let's talk about Ronaldo, because we've not done that much, have we, over the last few weeks and months? But this might actually be one of the last times <laughs> that his name is mentioned in, in anger on this podcast. Carl, I'm going to let you go first. Um, his World Cup of the Asterix Manchester United players has probably been about the most damaging, I reckon, despite becoming the first man to score in five World Cup finals. We've got more details now about how his time 
at Old Trafford came to an end. Andy's spoken to Eric Ten Hag as well about that situation. I'll talk to Andy about that in a minute. But I think, generally speaking, it's going to be really, really... I don't want to use the word interesting because it doesn't really sell it enough, but it's going to be fascinating just to sort of piece together United's future now without him, isn't it? It feels like a, everyone can just take a breath. I think there's probably been more than one Manchester United fan who has watched Cristiano Ronaldo play some of those World Cup games and gone, oh, that's not my problem anymore. <laughs> uh, Ronaldo at the World Cup was much like the Ronaldo we saw this season in that he is still trying to play like it was 2018, like it was 2016, like it was before the injury had a Real Madrid in the 14-15 season, but he's not able to get the shot off before the centre-back can nab the ball off him. The best game Portugal had at this tournament was the 6-1 victory over Switzerland where Ronaldo was dropped to the bench. And then, of course, you get that own miniature circus where Ronaldo appears to be in the middle of a fracas with, with Fernando Santos about going to the bench as well, which I think a lot of, a lot of United fans went, oh, that's what that looks like from the outside. It's, it's been a sad ending for a player who, up until quite recently, was considered to be one of the best players in the world. But the truth is, he's turning 38 soon. He can't get a yard of separation between him and the centre-back anymore. And he can no longer play at the level that he believes he wants to play at, which means he needs to change his game or he needs to go and find a club at a different level that can acquiesce to his demands. So that's his future, and that is going to be away from Manchester United. Uh, and by the sounds of Mr. Ten Hag's chat with Andy, uh, that's that, really. But, I mean, I read your piece, Andy, and it, it seems like Ten Hag doesn't really want to talk about Ronaldo ever again. He, he was asked about it, wasn't he? <laughs> if you read it again and I, I've again. I've never seen an exchange. <laughs> I know. Uh, I will have because I've been part of them before, but I've never seen an exchange which starts with, I don't want to talk about something and then getting asked about it <laughs> about 25 times. And eventually after 25 questions, he talks about it. Incredible. That's proper journalism as you're about to tell me, Andy. It, it was uh, interesting. There was, there was a, a couple of us um, doing that. And I think the reason for doing that is he'd not spoken at all about Cristiano Ronaldo leaving. He needed to talk about well, he, it. He needed didn't to he? talk for, for he, all of us, he, for all the fans as well. He probably not want to talk about it, and no one ever talk about it in the same way that you know. Can we talk about your your, your girlfriend who's just dumped <laughs> you? Um, people are often might be reluctant to do that, but he handled it well. I don't think he put a foot wrong. I think when he heard that Manchester United fans were pretty behind him as to the way he's handled it, then that put a bit of wind into his sail. I think he feels a bit sorry for Cristiano Ronaldo. I think a lot of people do. Do you think he does, Andy? Yeah, yeah, I do. As Carl said, um, he cannot do what he could do. He's the one who's got to come to terms with that. And I had a former player come to me last week, Premier League player, he just said, that was me when I was at X Club. He said, I blame the training ground. I blame my teammates. I blame the facilities. I blame the manager who didn't know what he was doing. He said, the manager sent me home one weekend. He said, 10 years later, I realised I was the one who was completely wrong. And I think it helps Manchester United that he's gone, not least because some money will be will be freed up. How much of that will go on a replacement, we don't know. I'd love to ask Ole Gunnar Solskjaer what he really thinks about Ronaldo coming back. I'd love to know what he really, really thinks. And he's probably too polite to ever to ever say that. And we're all a bit hypocritical here because we all bought Ronaldo coming back. I certainly did. 
I celebrated it. Carl didn't. Fair Carl's enough. wagging his finger again, Andy. Fair enough. Don't, don't drag Carl into it again. Fair yeah. enough. Um, yeah. I'm a hypocrite here because <laughs> I totally welcomed him coming back. Me too. Me you too. could all yeah, talk yeah. for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it worked out in the first season. And, and, and Eric Tenark said, look, he scored 24 goals last season. He even said he might have given him a new contract. But he wasn't doing it this season. And it started badly right from the outset. He said he wanted to go and then he didn't want to go. I just think Manchester United will be better without him. He, he could have left through the front door, head held high. He ended up going out the back door. Not the first time that that's happened to a Manchester United player. Huge appeal commercially, but that doesn't win your trophies. It doesn't win your football matches just because you've got a really popular player. And someone's got to make the difficult decisions. I do not think Eric Ten Hag put a foot wrong. Actually, I don't think Manchester United did with signing Cristiano Ronaldo. Maybe you could say signing him. That was the mistake. Would I have said that at the time? Not a chance. I thought we were just about to, you know, win the Champions League with him coming back. The final piece in the jigsaw. He didn't go to City. Viva Ronaldo. How come the uh, ex-supporters club, which was only taking one coach to Old Trafford, suddenly had demand for six coaches for the next game? The Ronaldo factor, it was absolutely massive. He's huge and he's gone. Goodbye. Good luck. Come back to Old Trafford in five years' time. You'll get a cheer then. Who's next then, Laurie? Andy's spoken to Ten Hag about the possibility of, of getting a replacement for Ronaldo. He sounds pretty set on it in January. What? is the likelihood of United getting someone and, and who would it be potentially? Do you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I need to do some more calls on this this week because um, I've got my own thoughts, but without actually establishing what, peop- what other people have more <laughs> relevance to thinking, then it's a bit tricky. I mean, if Ten Hag wants a striker in January, United have already shown that they have accommodated him in the summer with, with certain signings. I'm not saying that they've, they've gone and, and done everything that he needs and I think they need to have a better way of presenting options to him. But they have at least followed through with, with certain signings that he wanted. So I feel like he's got pretty decent authority in that regard. And if that's what he wants, then they'll they'll definitely try to do it. <laughs> that being said, you know, as soon as that window was over, we were told, right, there's no more money. <laughs> so January, don't look forward to it in, in, in any kind of way of, you know, we're going to do another Bruno Fernandes. If there is a, fa- a player that they want for the summer that becomes available in January, you know, they'll, they'll look at it. But as we've already outlined... Where does that money come from? You know, I mean, the, the the credit facility does have another hundred million dollars on it. I think they can go up to three hundred million dollars if they really want to. So maybe, maybe they just do that. It is Christmas time, and you know, the credit cards are getting well. Is there uh, a, used? <laughs> is there a thought that actually that type of investment in the club makes United look more appealing? Uh, is, if the sporting performance between now and the end of the season, they get in the Champions League. You know, they get back to being towards the top end of the league. Does that not make them more appealing to buy? Maybe, maybe it's worth the gamble. I don't know. Well, that's it, quite possibly. I mean, if, if they're thinking, well, a new owner has to deal with all this debt anyway, what's another 30 million, you know, 40 million? Um, True. <laughs> yeah, and, and as you say, if they're in the Champions League, then they are legitimately worth more money because yeah, they're yeah, getting yeah, yeah. guaranteed TV revenue that is much more than in the Europa League. So, yeah, maybe that's a, a consideration. Certainly, the few agents that I've spoken to already are kind of saying they don't know yet. They, they're kind of seeing which way the wind's going to blow. United are going to kind of look at it, you know, once everything's sorted over Christmas, I suppose. Um, but, you know, we've spoken about this before. Could they do a budget one uh, where it's like a loan or a, a free transfer or something? Or would they? I mean, Carl's written a piece this week about Memphis Depay over Cody Gakpo. I mean, Cody Gakpo isn't, isn't a striker, really, is he? But could Ten Hag 
he's already sort of worked his, his his forward line into different shapes. Would he look at that and think actually I can I can work with him? And as we know, they did actually agree terms in the summer. So, um, but I'm going to defer to Andy because he seems really excited about some breaking news that he's going to tell me. United are signing Mbappe on the first of January. <laughs> um, Eric Tenag wants a striker. He wants a number nine. He's lost Ronaldo. He's not got Jadon Sancho playing. Garnacho has come through a little bit. Can you blame him for wanting another player? But as Laurie correctly says, United overspent in the summer. Completely overpaid even for, for players. And we're seeing vindication from those signings. So you look at the type of players United could bring in. You mentioned Depay. Would Barcelona sell him? Yes, straight away. That makes it much easier. Barcelona need money. You've got clubs who need the money, who need to sell. Or you've got the Aubameyang example. Somebody who wants to get out of a club, like he did a year ago, comes to Manchester United. There's not a lot of world-class number nines around. United are even adding to that and saying, we don't want to do the the, the ageing veteran coming in. We don't want a player who's not going to improve the team. So that would rule out an, an, an Igolo equivalent, for example. So, a who? Odio Igolo from Watford. Odio Have I pronounced Igalo. that wrongly? Oh, Igalo. 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 I call him Igalo. Uncle Julio. I, I, I sat... What are you on about then? You know, Luis Sahar was signed in January, wasn't he? He was. Um, you, you know, Diego Forlan. Diego Forlan was signed in January. <laughs> We're going back here. Didn't quite work out, did it, Diego? Sorry about that. But you had a very good career. <laughs> I can see that Eric Tenag saying, I want a number nine. But, you know, if my missus dumped me tomorrow, I wouldn't mind going out with Margot Robbie. With Margot Robbie. It might not happen. Might. Might not happen. <gasps> Managers Man. always want more players. And it including, and that's the reason why we got Cristiano Ronaldo as well, because Ed Woodward said to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, would you like him? It's far easier to say yes than no. Now, Eric Tenag got a clear idea of what he wants, and a few names were mentioned to him, and he knew a lot about those players. I was really impressed by it. I was going to test him more, you know, start making up players in the Iranian <laughs> fourth division, and him going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could probably just name Spanish fifth division players that you'd seen the day previously. Can't even name the team that I watched last week, mate. <laughs> That's how bad that was. But yeah, I, I came out of the, um, that meeting thinking he's a good manager. He knows. He knows his onions. Which players, Andy, or, or is this to be to, to be shown, or was this off the record? No, I mean we know that he likes Ramos at Benfica, but then. Who wouldn't, you know? <laughs> Who wouldn't like him? We know that he'd, he'd like Gapko at, at, at PSV. Once again, you know, do you like this shiny red sports car? Who's going to say no to that? I, I think I don't think there's a desperation that there was when United signed Fernandez. You know, league form has been good, not bad. Results are improving. New players are still settling in. There's still wiggle room here for Anthony Martial to come back in, and we can talk about him if you want, because we, we, we spoke about him... Um, with Tenog, and I watched him with my own eyes. And when we did the piece for the Athletic of the weekend, and the responses to that were like, grown, not again. How many times has this piece been written in the last five years? And I totally get that. But if he is fit and playing, his returns are actually pretty good. Eric said he's got a goal or assist every 350 minutes. I think Simon Stone just did a bit of background around that for actually you're a bit out there but I think that the, the central point is true that manager's prerogative that in it yes yeah yeah it certainly made um Martial look better than the actual reality <laughs> but but I think the point is true if Martial is fit and playing every week he's a good player potentially and and one thing I mentioned in that piece was him failing in Spain earlier this year which he did do 
is actually a good thing in the eyes of a lot of people at United. Because I'm told he came back and thought, actually, it's not bad this place, one of the biggest football clubs in the world. Things could be a lot, lot worse. And he'd had a taste of how bad things can be. So best case scenario, he fits in with, with Marcus. Garnacho continues to improve. We finally get Jadon Sancho back. It's not looking that bad again. But United need to score more goals. 20 against City's 40. That's why we're having these conversations. Carl, what are you thinking? I'm thinking similar to Andy. There's probably 20 to 25 goals missing from the squad. Uh, at the start of the season, I, I did some mental arithmetic and figured out you basically need to be able to score 70 league goals to finish in the top four spaces on average. And I just I can't quite see everyone in United squad adding up to get to that 70 yet. So there's maybe space for one extra player. It's the thing of who, who do you go for in January? Um, so I, I wrote the piece on Memphis. And I think I think of this often in layers in that if you've got, let's say, 30 million in, in your back pocket, you can, you know, for this budget, who do you, who do you go out and get? You can go out and get someone else. I know Cody Gakpo has been quoted. Uh, so before the World Cup, I understand that PSV put a 50 million price tag on him. But now he's scored three goals at the World Cup. That might have crept up to 60 million to, to get talking. Um, there's also the fact that Cody Gakpo has not, he's not a lone striker. He wasn't particularly great playing in a front two next to Memphis. Uh, and Memphis also said that he prefers playing up front next to Steven Bergwijn, who used to play at Spurs and now is at Ajax. So if you're going out to get someone in January to be your striker for the next six months, maybe don't get Cody Gakpo to be that player. Maybe get Gakpo to be that the person and then you move Marcus Rashford to be your number nine while Gakpo takes on the left-hand side. Whether or not Ten Hag wants to do that, I don't know. Whether or not United have 60 million in the back pocket, I don't know. Uh, I also think no matter who United get in the January to be your striker, you still need to go out and spend... 80 million, 100 million plus to get the proper number nine that you need to sort out the next five, six years. Because anyone who can come in in January is only really going to be your Martial backup or, you know, the person who can go ahead of Martial and Martial's not in good form. You still need to go get your A1 striker. And those strikers, there's maybe, I mean, off the top of my head, there's five of them in the market right now. And all of them are going to cost at least 85 million. But... Memphis Depay own a contract that Barcelona expires this summer. We know what Barcelona are with their with their economic levers. And it, to loop it all the way back, uh, there's a very good section in Memphis Depay's book about his experience with Manchester United, where he says, "My problem at United was I blamed everyone but myself. I thought Van Hal was a dickhead, and I thought a Mourinho was a moron. Uh, in the end, actually, the problem was me." So yeah, Memphis by the age of 25 did the thing that not every football player does until they retire, which is realise that was the problem. So you could do a lot worse than Memphis Depay in January. You might be able to do slightly better, though. Asterix. He, he wasn't great in the game against Argentina. No, but you never know. We might be seeing him kissing Eric Ten Hag on the mouth by the end of this season. <laughs> At Old Trafford. You never know. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Andy, I promised at the top of this podcast said that we'd talk about the two friendlies. Um, what was the takeaway for you from being at those two games? Good for the young players, good for the team spirit, um, good for them to go warm weather training where it wasn't very warm. Good for the travelling fans. I was going to say, how warm does it have to be to classify <laughs> it as warm weather training? Because I read that in your report several times and I was thinking... <laughs> if you look in the Guinness Book of Records... Miles, weather training? In the Guinness Miles Book of Records training. in the section warm weather training definition, it says it's got to be above 24.4 um, de- degrees. So it, it failed okay. under that. Honestly, on Friday, it was lashing down that badly that I had to stop my car and pull over to the side of the road because it was dangerous. And I'm just laughing. And we got to the hotel and the employees were there saying like uh, we're sorry it's not normally like this but the day before the players had been training and the hotel's part of a golf complex and these United lads from Manchester Billy and his mates including the grandfather of one of the current players actually they were playing golf and they looked down from the 13th hole and they saw really this United players um, training and they started going U-N-I-T-E-D so all the, all the players looked up to these three absolute madheads who didn't know that Manchester United was staying at the hotel, even though they've got a second home local to that. <laughs> and then Ten Hag invites them in and says, come and have a beer with us. So they watch the game together. It's good for stuff like that. I think for squad integration, I think the social side of it, I know that the some of the new um, employees had to do songs uh, to, to the whole staff, which I love. And, and Eric Ten Hag was saying, the chef actually... He sang a song to us from Ghost and he said he was really good. I said, well, did you sing? Because you've not been here for that long, have you, Mr. Ten Hag? No, no, he says, like, I don't even know Dutch songs. Well, what's wrong with singing some Dutch songs? No, he said, I need people uh, to be closer to me and to believe in me. If I start singing, I'm going to push him (laughs) away and they're going to start thinking, you know, (laughs) who is this clown? So it wasn't ideal because you're missing so many players, but then it's great that Manchester United players are so well represented in the World Cup finals. Couple of hundred fans in Cadiz, same again in Betis. Met some fans who'd driven from Gibraltar, from Portugal. You sort of see just how massive Manchester United are when you bump into people who listen to this podcast and they come up to you outside the ground in Andalusia. And I, I like that. Um, and I also think playing against Betis, Betis are a really good team. Really, really good team. You've got a brilliant manager and you go into that thinking... If they really revved it up, they could hammer Manchester United here. And the fact that it's only 1-0 because of Tom Eaton, he was man of the match. Tom Eaton, we've all known he's a nice fella. Absolutely brilliant goalkeeper. And just to observe training and just to see how how tough the training is and how they're all absolutely at it. And with a drone above the training pitch and all these staff around the training field and you're like, who's he, who's he, who's he? Well, he's in charge of, you know, looking for worms at the third pitch in Salford. You think, it's a massive operation, this. And the feeling I got was Eric Ten Hag knows what he's doing. He's got a massive job, a very difficult job, up against some amazing football teams. But I'm quite happy that he's Manchester United manager. Laurie, when are we expecting the rest of these players then to join up? Because like we said before, there's only Varane and Martinez left in Qatar. So the lads who are 
out of the tournament now. When will United see them next? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but I'd imagine, you know, straight away, really. I mean, they, they can't go and necessarily give them too much of a break. I mean, maybe a couple of days to kind of decompress, particularly the England boys, to, to kind of go out in that way. Um, but I mean, you know, Rashford had a great tournament. Um, Maguire, sure. You kind of think they want to keep the momentum going. And, and particularly when you look at the Burnley game, uh, the Carabao Cup game being on the 21st of December and, you know, potential that Martinez and Varane are both um, in the World Cup final, then, you know, you, you need Maguire back for that one, really, don't you? Um, I know yeah, Berlin wants to be trading. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I expect that they'd want to kind of get the team together because it's then, it's, it's a quick, quick pace, isn't it? You know, you've got... Forest on the 27th, I think Wolves after that, and you know it's, there's the FA Cup as well against Everton, isn't there? So you've got games coming thick and fast. Um, so yeah, I, I, there was one question as Andy was speaking there that I wanted to ask about, and I know he was giving us loads of great detail about you know different uh, what what different staff members do and and, and etc. Really fascinating. But also you mentioned the song Ghost there, Andy. So yeah. you're telling me that this person did Unchained Melody? <laughs> I mean that is a hard song to sing. I. I... I've not seen the film Ghost, and you can all laugh at me because of that. So I I'm didn't, not laughing. I'm just I, saying I you probably should. Know. I've never seen Ghost. <laughs> right. I, I I will I will watch it once Patrick I've Swayze watched not doing Laurie's it, TIFO yeah. video going to um to Qatar. <laughs> um, I'll promise to watch Ghost soon. Um, but there was it was a song from Ghost. Eric Tenard didn't know what the song was. So the chef actually pointed that out. But even taking your own chef over in a country yeah. which has got you know amazing restaurants the chef's coming out working in collaboration with the restaurant bringing out this absolutely world-class tapas i'm thinking they've planned this they've you know a lot of thought has gone into this but i will try and get the name of the song this is serious journalism now isn't it how on earth am i going to go about I'm just, this i'm just impressed if it's unchained melody because it's got some high right. pitched notes in that it's a hard one so it's not a karaoke beginner song yeah that's 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 all that you know how does it start laurie <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't picture how it starts. Go on, Laurie. Just tell us how it starts. That's all oh, we need to know. Oh, oh, the Everly Brothers, of course. A famous my song. Darling. I'm pretty oh, sure that's in the film, right? That's the big song in the film when he's doing the old, he's doing the old sculpture with Demi Moore. There, there are people from Manchester United who listen to this podcast. Please help us find out the exact song which the chef sang in Monte Castillo Hotel last Thursday night. There is a reward for this information. Perfect. And I can't think of a better way to end this podcast, actually. The first one back, and we've ended up in true Talk of the Devil style, speaking about something that vaguely relates to Manchester United and has put a smile on my face, if not everyone else's. Right, I've just got enough time to talk to you about the WSL, because, of course, Manchester United women's team have been playing in that, whilst the men's team have been taking a break for the World Cup. They drew one all at the Etihad on Sunday floor. Lloyd Hughes has written a piece on that about why Manchester United are not quite yet proving that they are title contenders in that competition, and they should be, in her opinion. So you can go and read about that at the moment. And there's also Steve McNally, the club doctor, leaving to take up a role at the PGMOL. There's details on that on The Athletic as well. As well, If you're not a subscriber, you can do so now. Remember, sign up with our special podcast price. You'll pay less than £2 a month for the first year when you sign up by going to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for the minute, Laurie... 
Thank you very much for being back with us. Andy, thank you for being with us as well. And Carl, thank you to you as well. We're going to be back next week, so one a week between now and the end of 2022. We'll have a bit more detailed of a preview, or at least preview it in some form, because we've barely spoken about it, have we? But United being back in action in the League Cup against Burnley. And we'll also be looking ahead to our first meeting with Nottingham Forest in the league for 23 years. And we're going to leave you with the last time we played them. Spoiler alert. It went quite well. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. And time goes by so And it's another one. When he comes on, he usually gets a goal. The young Norwegian. Solskjaer thinks about going, beats the offside jab. Besson does well yet again, but there's more to do. Oh, that's brilliant. That is brilliant from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And it's six. Oh, that's a lovely play. And Solskjaer there. Oh, wouldn't you know it? The substitute is the one who gets the hat-trick. Oh, they're just queuing up. And it's so shot again. The Athletic.